Welcome to Hope Denver. My name is Ike Shepherdson. I'm one of the pastors. Before we open our Bibles together, I wanted to share a couple of things that are happening here in the next few weeks. One has to do with our Hope kids. You know, Jesus said, uh, he said that we should uh, welcome the little children. Let them come to him. Don't hinder them. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And so for our Hope kids, we want to make sure that we welcome them every week to, to church with something that really fits them. And uh, we used to have this before quarantine, and, you know, coronavirus ruined everything. <laughs> and so we just like to staff up those classes again. And what we're, what we're asking for is that uh, everybody who calls Hope Denver home, that you would help out once every six weeks or so. And uh, hopefully that will work into your schedule. It wouldn't be too big of a burden, and uh, we'd love to have you participate in that. Please talk to me or to one of the pastors. You can also send an email to info at hopedenver.com if you're interested. Um, also, we have Hope Group starting. Actually, we even have our first tween Hope Group starting. I was, I was excited about that, less excited, or more excited than you. The tween Hope Group is starting. That's exciting. Uh, so we have a, couple, a bunch of new things. We have Bibles and Bros. Cisco, am I right? That's right. Yeah, we do that. And, uh, and Colin's over here. Yeah, so we have Bibles and Bros. A lot of cool things happening. Um, you can find all those at hopedenver.com slash hopegroups. Uh, if you're interested in being baptized in water, that's something that Jesus tells us to do if we're a follower of his. It represents how we've been cleaned by him and how we've come up, and, uh, come up out of the water into a new life. If you've never done that, uh, we'd love to do that with you. Um, again, let one of the pastors know or send an email to info at hopedenver.com. And if today you brought a gift, if you uh, brought your, your regular giving, uh, you can, there's a little black box on the way out. Uh, that's for people who call Hope Denver home. If, if you're new to, new to Hope Denver, please feel no obligation. Um, but you can do hopedenver.com slash give for all those things as well. Let's take a moment to pray before we open the Bible together today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you that the Bible is the story of your love for your people. We receive that today. We receive your love. And we, we, we know that uh, you spoke to us earlier, that you see us. So as we open up the Bible and we read your words, I pray that we would feel seen and heard and loved today. Help us to listen to you and obey you as well, and all for your glory. Amen. Today we're, st we're starting a brand new series at Hope Denver called The Story. Everybody say, the story, the story. During the next few weeks, we're going to be, learn about God's story, and we're going to learn this. One of the best things about following Jesus is that our stories become part of God's big story. Please open to the very front of your Bible. That's Genesis 1. You can go there on the YouVersion app as well. YouVersion is what that's called if you would like the Bible app. Genesis 1. You know, when people think about religion... They often think about principles and rules. They think about dogmas and traditions. They think about commands to do this and don't do this. Now, rules can be a good thing, but at its core, Christianity isn't about rules. At its core, Christianity is about God and people and a love story. It's the story of a broken-hearted lover who doesn't give up in winning back his lost love. It's the story of a family that got broken up because of selfishness, hatred, addiction, and pride, and the father of that family is willing to do anything to bring the family back together. 
Christianity is the story of a king who conquers not with armies, but he conquers by winning people's hearts with his affection. See, Christians, they believe that that God made the world and the world belongs to God. Each of our stories in God's world are really just a part of the beautiful story that he's writing. While there are many stories, God's story is the big story. It's the meta story. It can be easy to think that, that our lives are all about us and our stories, but really we're just a part of his story. And that doesn't make us any less important. But rather than being the hero of God's story because of our intelligence or our beauty, I know you were thinking it, um, or because of our power, we are major players in God's story simply because God loves the world so much. Now, God's story can be told in three acts. There's three acts to the story. Creation, fall, and redemption. The beginning, God created a beautiful world. He created it full of love and mystery, but with power and, and beauty. He made it to work properly. He designed things with an end in mind. The end was his love, his knowledge, and his glory. He, he pronounced that everything in this world was good. But part of his creation is that he, he made humanity, and humanity has free will because love requires choice, and we'll talk more about that in a minute. So out of the free choice, humanity has not always chosen to receive God's love. We've chose brokenness and hatred. We've chose selfishness and pride. And this is how everything broke down. That's the fall. But God isn't willing to let the world remain in a fallen, broken state. He initiates redemption. And you see this throughout the grand arc of the Bible. You see that God is initiating a redemption at the earliest times in the history of the children of Israel. He sends prophets to them, people who will speak for God, and tell them about his plan to redeem the world. He says that he wants to be a God of justice, and he wants his people to be people of justice, to look at the fallenness and the brokenness, and to participate with him in making it right again. And his redemption culminates on a Roman cross in Palestine 2,000 years ago where Jesus, the God-man himself, comes to receive the penalty for our sins, to be enthroned as a king upon a cross of execution, and to reign forever, not as a king who conquers with armies, but again a king who wins over people's hearts with love. And in Jesus, death is not the end of the story. Isn't that a good thing? If you'd like to say amen today, you may. Uh, It's a good thing that Jesus didn't remain dead, but he rises again to show us that new life is possible, that God's redemption doesn't end 2,000 years ago, but that was just the beginning. But he's, he's using us, he's using his people to redeem the world. And yeah, we still make mistakes and we're fallen, but God is using his people to set up systems of justice in the world, to help things to be better. And at the last day, death itself will die. Christ will reign on the earth and every tear will be wiped away from people's eyes. That is the big story. That's God's story. And friends, it's your story, and it's mine. The title of the story that we're going to be looking at this week is The God Who Covers. The God Who Covers. This story begins with God himself, who is altogether loving and holy and pure. But God also loves beauty, and he loves the process of making things beautiful. See, in the story of the God who covers, we're going to be speaking 
about the story of God and us, God and humanity. So let's start with the creation. At the beginning of the story, you see God's creation of the universe. God creates everything out of nothing. Using the strength of his words and his ingenious imagination, God creates the universe, its galaxies, its planets, and stars. He creates the earth and its waters. He creates vegetation and all kinds of animal life. And he creates humanity. Look at Genesis 1, 26, and this is God's word. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see in this passage that God creates humanity with a purpose. Instead of simply being a blank slate onto which our environment stamps its influence, God created you and me with a purpose. He has a purpose in mind, and your purpose is to represent God's authority on earth. Just like a coin bears the image of the seal of the government that guarantees its value, so you are sealed with God's image on you. Proof that God exists and that God's authority exists is real. So God creates humanity with a purpose. God also creates humanity with identity. God creates humanity male and female. Remember, this is before the fall, so there's no confusion about identity. But only together do men and women fully represent what it means to be made in the image of God. Our identities are distinct, men and women. They're complementary. We were made to work together well. We were made to honor one another. See how beautiful the system is. It's beautiful. Look at verse 28. God blessed them, the man and the woman, and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. So God creates humanity with purpose and with identity. But here you see that God creates humanity with a mission, He wants the humans to be fruitful. What does it mean to be fruitful? Literally, it means have babies. (laughs) But not just that. He says, have babies, but take care of the earth. He says, tend the garden. Develop civilization. Don't just use the earth. This This is God's calling to care for and to develop the earth. God wants us to steward the creation. Here, it's important to pause, and I'm, I'm going to pause from this story because I want to talk about something that I may not get a chance to talk about in the near future. What, most of what passes for environmentalism in our culture falls into two equal and opposite errors. The first would be spiritual environmentalism. Spiritual environmentalism worships the earth as a kind of creator. Spiritual environmentalism says, Mother Earth made us, so we need to honor Mother Earth. 
Now, this is absurd because the earth can't make anything. The earth doesn't have desires or a will. It doesn't have uh, any, any honor that we could give to it. It doesn't have purposes. The earth doesn't have intelligence. Moreover, spiritual environmentalism worships something that's not God. The other error would be secular environmentalism. Secular environmentalism says that we should take care of the earth simply because we need the earth to function well in ways that support human life. You've probably heard this before. We need to take care of the earth for the sake of future generations. This view ends up worshiping humanity. It says that humanity is the most important thing. And so the earth is just a means to that end. But biblical environmentalism, on the other hand, cares for the earth because the earth was created by God and it's good in and of itself. Now, we care for the earth also because we need its resources. But we don't treat the earth as a means to an end. It is valuable in and of itself. When we care for the earth, we show that we're obeying God's command to do just that, to care for the earth, to care for the creation. We show that we love and obey God when we practice biblical environmentalism. You okay with me taking that little, that little detour? You didn't have a choice. Here we go. Let's go back to the story. So here you have humanity created with purpose, identity, and a mission. And the meaning of this creation story is that humanity is valuable and beautiful. God loves us. God loves us enough to give us commands. God loves us enough to give us purpose and an identity and a mission. This is important because most of what goes wrong in our lives happens when we try to go our own way and to step away from our purpose, our identity, and our mission. Have you ever tried to go your own way before? Have you guys ever tried that? Have you tried going your own way, not going God's way? I'd like to tell you a story. Earlier this summer, in the middle of quarantine, I was running in Wash Park. And I was running out of Wash Park. I live down here in the university neighborhood. And so I was running uh, south out of the park at, at Franklin. You know where Franklin meets Wash Park? So I was coming south, and there's a crosswalk there. That's the way I should have gone, right? So I, I had a chance to run across the crosswalk and get on the sidewalk, which is just right off the crosswalk, and just keep running home, okay? But you know, it was quarantine. I knew people were, people were a little funny about this, and I didn't want to get in the back of the line that was building up at the crosswalk, especially because of social distancing, and I was running, these people are walking, how long is this going to take? So instead of, instead of going to, uh, you know, just waiting in, for my time in the crosswalk, I kind of walked down the side of the sidewalk a little bit. You've done this before, don't judge me. I walked down the side of the sidewalk, and the crosswalk's over here. And so what I have to do to get back on the sidewalk, which is over there, is I have to kind of cut an angle, right? So the, the little, little guy comes on and, and says I can walk. So I start running, and right next to the sidewalk is a big shrub, kind of a square shrub. You know what I'm talking about, like a juniper kind of thing that was kind of uh, shaved down. And I had to kind of go diagonal and then get back on the sidewalk. Well, I, 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 was, I kind of cut a corner. <laughs> I cut a corner as I was running to get back onto the sidewalk. And I thought, you know, this is not a big deal. This all happened really quickly. It's just a shrub. I kind of brushed along the corner of the shrub. The problem is, is that underneath the soft new growth on the shrub 
was a giant stick that had been cut down who knows how long ago. Uh, and it was, it was really thick, and it was firm, and it was not moving. It's a juniper, and you know that these things are a big pain if you live in Colorado. I, I ran, and as I cut the corner, bam, just right, on my, right on, my, on my thigh here, just a gash, a huge gash right across my leg. I still have a scar there. If you want to compare how cool we are later on, we can, we can check scars. But I have this big scar, and it was yucky. It was bleeding everywhere. And I learned that it's not a good idea <laughs> to not use the crosswalk, and I can't cut an angle across, uh, across, across the sidewalk. See, the crosswalk was there to show me the safest way to go. The sidewalk is there to delineate what part belongs to the shrub, and what part belongs to the people who are walking or running. See, when you go your own way, sometimes you get hurt. You may even get a scar that lasts for a lifetime. See, God made you with a purpose, an identity, and a mission. When you try to live without referencing who you are and who God is and why God made you, then you're probably going to get hurt. But in this story, none of that's happened yet. In the biblical story, none of that's happened yet. See, in this story... All you have is love so far. See, in the beginning, love was on the rise. God's love was setting the tone for everything that happens with the humans. God's love is the reason behind his commands and his designs. And in the creation, the love between God and humanity, it just goes back and forth. It goes back and forth and it grows and grows. God loves humanity and humanity loves God in return. Love's a good thing but it requires a choice. If someone doesn't choose to love God, it's like trying to cut across a street at an angle that's unsafe. Living without love means pain. Living without love is the part of the story that we call the fall. Remember, why does God give the command to care for the earth? It's because he loves humanity enough to give them an identity, a purpose, and a mission. Well, God gives another command. This is in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, if you're like me, you're asking, why would God make a tree that could kill the man? Why would God do this? This command is not about God trying to trip up humanity. He's not trying to mess with them. See, it seems to me that there are two reasons why God would make a tree like this and why he would give the command that he gave. The first one is that authentic love requires authentic choice. God wants a consensual relationship with humanity. It's not marriage or romance per se, but it is a relationship, and it requires choice. Both parties have to be able to choose to invest in the relationship. And if God created the world in such a way that humans could never walk away from their purpose, their identity, and their mission, then it wouldn't be real love. It would be like you marrying your computer. You might love it, but it doesn't love you back. You might think that it's cool, but it, isn't even, it doesn't even know who you are. It doesn't even care about you. Love without choice is not love at all. Authentic love requires authentic choice. The second reason why I think God would do this is that love requires learning. 
If I say that I love my spouse, but I don't know anything about her, if I haven't learned anything about her, you would say, you don't love her. You say, you're missing something. And it seems to be that God wanted to teach humanity the knowledge of good and evil. He wanted to teach it to them gently and over time. He didn't want them to learn about good and evil by experience. He wanted to teach them about it as a gentle father would teach his children about things that are dangerous. He wanted to teach them at a pace that would help them in their purpose, their identity, and their mission. God wants to teach us. He wants to teach us with gentleness, though. The scripture says this, I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. God wants to teach us. He wants to show us things. So God gives the man the command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because he knows that God himself can give the man this knowledge in ways that will make him to feel free and joyful and will ultimately keep him safe. Sadly, humanity doesn't obey God. They don't receive God's command as a gift. They don't receive God's command as a form of his love. Here's what happens in the fall. Look at Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's not really clear from the text itself that the serpent here is the spiritual being that Christians have referred to as Satan, but this creature here sure does seem to fit the bill of what Satan is. Satan accuses people of things, and Satan accuses God of things. Satan will say to you, you are not good enough. Have you ever heard that message in your head before? You are not good enough. That's the kind of accusation that Satan, Satan makes. He'll say, God doesn't love you. You're all alone. God doesn't care about you. You need to take matters into your own hands. Don't give in to all this religion stuff. What you need is just yourself. And Satan's a liar. And he's trying to make the woman's heart hard toward God. He's trying to break up the relationship. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. You know, sin doesn't usually look bad on the outside. It doesn't look bad. It usually looks pleasurable and beneficial. Have you found this to be true? I found it to be true. Humans are easily fooled by sin. It looks good. It looks enticing. That's why God's purpose for you is so important. That's why the identity and mission that he gives you is so important. That's why choosing to love and obey God is important. These things protect you from going the wrong way. They protect you from going away that's out of step with your purpose, your identity, and your mission. See, God wants to protect you from getting hurt by mistake. He wants to protect you from getting a scar. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, 
And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Sin makes us feel ashamed. Have you ever... (laughs) Maybe not all of us. (laughs) Sin makes us feel ashamed. Have you ever done something that you knew was wrong and felt ashamed afterward? I have. You know, what, you know what I'm talking about? That feeling of shame? It's like a dread. You did something that you knew was wrong. I'm not talking about like little stuff. Like you, you thought about it, and you're like, I'm going to do this. And then afterward, you just, you're like, oh, gosh, why did I do that? The man, the man and the woman in this story, they feel ashamed afterward. They try to cover over their nakedness. They're suddenly ashamed of their bodies. God did not make us to feel ashamed of how we look. The world wants to tell you that you're not good enough and you you don't look good, but God didn't make us to be this way. So this man and the woman, they're ashamed of their bodies. They hide from God because he's a source of holiness and moral accountability. But God didn't make us to be afraid of him. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He loves us. He doesn't want us to run and hide. You know, as soon as I say the word sin... Can make us feel judged. Have you ever had that feeling before? In fact, for some of us, whenever somebody says that word, it just it, it cuts right to who we are and we feel judged. In fact, religion sometimes feels like judgment. But God isn't like this. God doesn't want you to feel shame and judgment. Hypocrites want you to feel judged. You know who who wants you to feel judged? Hypocrites do. God wants you to be forgiven and healed. People judge you, but God treasures you. Evil and judgmental people want you to feel humiliated. They want to cancel you, but God wants you to feel loved. The world wants you to be ashamed of your body. God wants you to feel covered and protected. Judgmental people want you to feel afraid and alone, like you need to hide. But God wants you to know that you belong in his family. Verse 11 says, and he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You know, being in a loving relationship means taking personal responsibility. But do you know what sin does? Sin causes us to blame other people. Whenever we have our own sin problem, it's a very natural response to go on the defensive. It causes us to blame others. The result of all this sin is passing the buck. 
It means that you're going to get defensive and you're going to pass on the blame to somebody else. That's exactly what happens here. All of the, this, all of the sin and blame that goes around just causes what was good in the creation to start to break down. Everything starts to break down. Remember, God created a good world, but sin will spoil some of the goodness of God's creation. Sin causes our difficulties at work. Sin causes our emotional, mental, and physical sicknesses. And I'm not saying that somebody is sick because they sinned. I'm saying that, sick, that, that sin in general breaks down the order of us receiving God's good gifts. And so we suffer because there's sin in the world. Sin means pain and physical death. It means relationships where people try to dominate each other. And this is where we all need to take a deep breath. Because sin and fallenness is not the end of the story. All of this awful stuff is not the end of the story. You see, if God can engineer such a lovely creation, then God has enough love and power to design a beautiful redemption. If God cares enough about people to give them purpose and identity and a mission, he's not going to give up if they start to turn away. See, God's like a rejected lover that continues to desperately pine after his beloved. He loves humanity, and a single act of rejection can't stop his love for them. It's not going to quiet his deep affection. You know, before I met Kelsey, my beautiful wife, my affection for the opposite sex was fickle. <laughs> if I liked a girl and I asked her out and she said no, I'd move on. <laughs> I was fickle. I'd get over it, right? But God's not like that with his love. His love doesn't give up. If you reject God, his love for you is just as strong as the day that he made you. If you turn away, even in a moment of confusion or of weakness, God's love burns brighter and stronger for you. See, with humanity's rejection, God's heart just beats stronger and stronger. His love won't give up. His love won't run away. His love doesn't get discouraged. His love doesn't fade over time. God's love, the scripture says, is strong. So God's redemption is strong. Two things happen here that show us God's redemption. Look at chapter 3 and verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. First, God cares about humanity's shame and nakedness. This is so simple and practical. They feel ashamed for being naked and he gives them clothes. But isn't it profound? God doesn't want them to be cold. He doesn't want them to be ashamed. He wants them to be protected from the elements. God cares about their bodies. I hope this is good news to some of you today. God cares about your physical needs. He cares about how you feel right now. He cares about what you need right now. God cares about your house. He cares about your car. God cares about your job. God cares about your health. 
He cares about your friends and your family. God cares about how much money you make. God cares about what you need. He doesn't want you to feel ashamed or alone or afraid. He cares for you. He wants to protect you. There's something else about this. God made them clothes from an animal skin. These animal skins cover over the man and the woman. And this whispers something to us about the nature of sin and redemption. It's just a whisper here. Sin is so bad that redemption means that something needs to die. Think about how Jesus died for you to forgive you of your sins. This is the ultimate redemption, and it's presaged here in Genesis. There's just a whisper of it here. So God cares about our physical needs. Second, God cares about justice. Listen to what God says to the serpent. This is back in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. It says the snake's going to be on his belly. When is a snake dangerous? Not when it's on its belly. It's when it kind of prones up a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? It kind of like backs up and it starts to raise his head off the ground. Only when it is poised and upright is a snake dangerous. This is God saying that he's going to limit the power of the serpent. This is important for us to know about the nature of the evil one. People get afraid of Satan. In fact, if I say that name, some of you might feel a little bit of fear. People get afraid of demons. Have you ever had this kind of fear before? You don't need to be afraid. See, God has cursed the spiritual forces of evil in this world. He's cursed them. They have limited power, and God's power is so much stronger. And God cares about justice, and we get a glimpse of how God is going to set things right. The offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head, and he will strike his heel. Let's talk about striking the heel. In the ancient world, they, they would have read this as like a symbol of death. The serpent strikes the heel of the woman's offspring, and that means that, that the offspring would die. There's a whisper here of the nature of God's redemption. The offspring of the woman Eve and the man Adam is someone that Christians have referred to as the new Adam. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is one of the woman's many descendants, and his, his heel was indeed struck when he was nailed to the cross to die for our sins. But as Jesus died, he crushed the devil's head. You don't need to be afraid, especially kids in the room, you don't need to be afraid of the devil or of demons because Jesus has crushed his head. See, when Jesus was nailed to the cross as he died, he defeated the forces of evil in the world. Colossians says it this way, you were dead in your sins because of your sinful nature was not cut away yet. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing them to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. When the enemy tells you that you're not good enough, when he says you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, that's an accusation, and Jesus has already crushed his head. You don't need to be afraid of that accusation 
Because Jesus has not shamed you. Jesus has shamed the evil one. You and I need to remember every time that we feel ashamed and afraid that Jesus has crushed the devil's head. Let's stand together as we close today. Today, I talked a bit about how God has created you with a purpose and identity and a mission. And some of you, I think today, maybe you feel a little bit lost from that purpose, that identity, and that mission. It's just because life's complicated, right? Life's complex. There's a lot of stuff to do. And it's difficult to think about where am I going? What am I doing? Who am I? And I'd like to give you some time to process that with the Lord right now. Colin, would you mind just kind of coming up and um, we're just going to take some time in God's presence to just sort of quietly think about who we are and what God thinks of us. Does that sound okay? Let's bow our heads in prayer. God, the world gives us so many messages about who we are, and so many of those messages are negative. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You haven't figured this out yet. And God, I've felt the shame of those messages. And my brothers and sisters here, we've felt the shame. If you're dealing with shame today, just say, God, I've felt this. I feel ashamed. And so, Lord, right now, would you look with favor upon your children, those that feel ashamed. And I pray that you would correct the lies of the evil one. I think God is saying to you, brothers and sisters, you're my beloved and I'm yours. I love you. I made you. I created you. I don't want you to feel ashamed. I think God's saying this. I want you to feel loved. I don't want you to feel alone. I want you to know that you're a part of my family. I've got your back now. Some of us, we have a part of our story that's really broken right now. If you have sickness or maybe you have some mental illness or you have somebody that you love who's dealing with those things, would you just raise your hands up before God right now if, if, you're, if you're concerned about sickness or mental illness in your life or others' lives? And God, I pray that you would write a redemption on these stories. If that's you, if you have sickness or mental illness, everybody close your eyes, no one's going to look around. Just if you have that, that in your life or in the life of somebody you care about, sickness or mental illness, would just raise your hands up to God. And God, we give you these concerns. And we pray for your healing touch in those places in our lives. Now, some of us feel lost. If that's you, if you felt lost, I felt this way recently. You feel lost, you feel like you're alone. Go ahead and lift your hand up before God and say, God, I felt this way. And God is saying again today, friends, that he sees you. Receive that. I see you. I see you. I see you. If you felt lost, just raise a hand up. You can even just turn it up quietly by yourself. Say, God, God says, I see you. If you feel lost, I see you. Now, all of us, we have a mission in the world, and that's to go and to love others 
as we love ourselves, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So let's all of us just open up our hands before God and say, God, we receive this mission from you. You've called us to be people of love and people of peace. Send us out with this commissioning, that we would love our neighbors as ourselves, that we'd be compassionate and gentle, we'd be kind and full of conviction, that we would do what needs to be done for the sake of the kingdom, that we wouldn't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, but that today day. We will be people who walk with purpose and mission, and it's to love you and to love others. So give us your strength for that. And in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray God's blessing on you, that you, everywhere you go, would you be an ambassador of the gospel. And indeed, as you're an ambassador, you're also a son and a daughter. And God loves you. So receive his love in Christ's name. Amen.